Genesis chapter number four. We're going the series, Zumped, it's about relationships. Verse number one of Genesis chapter four says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Hold there for just a moment. With the Lord's help, she produced. You cannot produce anything worth having in life without the Lord's help. When it comes to relationships and fruitful relationships, you cannot really have what God has intended without his help. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his crop, from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You know, I was, as I read that, you see the, the struggle that Cain has having between his brother and God. Anytime that there is struggle between your fellow man, woman, it's just a reflection of your struggle that you have with God. That's why we say love God, love people. They go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Because man has created the image of God. God continues, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching. There's an image here of a, of a, a lion in the bushes ready to just jump on you at any moment. Sin is crouching at the door, eagle to pounce on you, to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. There's nothing wrong with emotions. Nothing wrong with any of our emotions. As a matter of fact, there's not a emotion that you have that God has not placed inside of you. He said, oh no, Pastor, envy, jealousy. The Bible says God is jealous. Anger, God gets angry. It's not the emotion that's wrong. It's when our emotion gets out of the boundaries of the way God intended for us to use those. Because there's a righteous anger righteous jealousy for the things of God. Every emotion God has given you, the question is, are you going to funnel that emotion and feeling that you have for God-honoring purposes? One day, Cain struggled, suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, 
Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Other translations would say it in a way that we would, we, most of us probably know it. Am I my, say it with me, brother's keeper? And the answer is overwhelmingly what? Say it with me. Yes. Say it again. The answer is yes. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Father, I invite you to just close your eyes. Father, we have to hear from you. We won't know life that has been taken from this world by anger, jealousy. We don't want George Floyd or anyone else before him that has lost their life to be something that we just skirt over and move on down the road. May we stop and evaluate and learn in Jesus' name. May we hear your voice today and may we respond to what you are asking us to do and do something, do something. In your name I pray, amen. This past week I'm went and visited Pastor Hetty. If you don't know who Pastor Hetty is, Pastor Hetty is uh, our pastor at North Church in Guthrie. African-American man, incredible man of God. I knew he was hurting. So I went up and spent some time with him just to listen to his pain, his anger, his struggle, his questions. Hetty's a man who has given a lot to other people, showing kindness and mercy and goodness. He gives a lot. He writes a lot of letters with the card on the outside that says, you matter. Sends people notes. Hundreds, not thousands of them. Because he wants people to know, you matter. Like our billboard outside that says, you matter. But in this moment, we have to stop collectively as a nation and remind ourselves that black lives matter. Now, this is not promotion of an organization. This is to speak to what is going on right now. I've had some white people I've heard say, well, all lives matter. Well, yeah. But right now, we've got to stop and look at injustice and issues and say, no, right now the issue at hand is that black lives matter. And we've got to give attention to that. Not just because somebody's making a bunch of noise, but because it is right to do so. You see, throughout time, 
human nature has struggled with sibling rivalries that we still are struggling with today because what we're dealing with is not something new. It's something that has existed since the beginning of time. Going all the way back to the first family, Adam and Eve, and they have two boys. And what happens? One turns on another out of anger, jealousy, rage, feeling like God favored him over me. It was a sibling rivalry. You look throughout the Word of God, it's constantly showing up. Just, just give you a couple of examples. Jacob and Esau, sibling rivalry. The most famous of one that we're still dealing with today that has our whole world is in turmoil because of is the Arab and Jew. It is the siblings of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. We have a sibling rivalry problem and the solution is a sibling revival. That word revival means transformation. It means to awaken to the original desires and wants. It means a new love. It means what Christ said is to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to give you just three things that hopefully will help you with what's going on right now and what we are facing. I want to talk about the foundation that you need to lay. Secondly, I want to talk about the faith that is required to live out the relationships that God would want you. And then thirdly, is the future that's coming based upon what we decide now. So first off, the foundation of relationships must be Jesus. It can't be anything other than. Maybe you have been like me before and you have gotten a toy or some furniture and you put it together and stack it together and you do it without reading the instructions. Anybody? And you finish it up and you're like, I wish I had read the instructions. One piece can make all the difference. And sometimes I've had times where I've had to go back and it took a lot longer to go back and fix the problem because I didn't take time to just read the instructions in the beginning. When it comes to relationships, the manual for relationships is God's Word. It's Genesis through Revelation. And oftentimes we talk, I, I, we act like we know God's Word. We've been raised in church, been around church, come to church by osmosis. But Jesus, and if you think that this message is just because I'm going to be dealing with the topic at hand and the racial struggle that's going on, awareness of injustice. But if you think that these principles don't apply to you then, no, no, if you're single and want to be married, if you're married and want to be single, if you're single again, if you are dealing with relationships at your job, on your ball team, in your neighborhood. These principles all work the same. Listen into what God is speaking today to you. It's interesting to me that in verse number seven, God says to Cain, 
you will be accepted if you do what is right. Twice God says, just do what is right. Well, Cain didn't have the Bible. How does he know? No, no, no. This is God speaking to Cain. Jesus was there just like Jesus walked the face of this earth. In fact, it says in the beginning that let us make man in our image. Who is us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve come out of the garden. They know what they've just faced because of disobedience to God. I am sure they heard God's word. They gave God's word that they got from God, Jesus, in the garden to Cain and Abel again and again. It was in Cain. He knew the right thing to do. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. God was there. Cain knew the right thing and disregarded, disregarded what God would want him to do. You know, Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he was asking the religious leaders who knew the Hebrew text. They knew the Old Testament is what we call it. They, they knew the Bible. Yet Jesus would ask one time when they're asking about marriage, can I just mar- divorce my wife? And, and Jesus says, have you not read the scriptures? The scriptures have to be the foundation for our relationships and everything. If we're going to have godly, effective relationships, we've got to go back. And sometimes we may have a surface understanding, but we need to dive into the details. In Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus asks another question to the religious people. He says, well, you know the scriptures. There's a difference here. But how do you understand them? This is key too. Because sometimes we can, we want to twist the word to have it understand what we want out of the word. We want to make it fit our lifestyle, our relationships. What we want, we're going to try to fix it in that box. Be very careful that you do not live out your Christianity in isolation, your understanding of the Scripture. That's why we need one another. That's why I need to constantly listen to teachers and different teachers. That's why I need to constantly be around people and engage God's Word because isolation breeds deception. We can begin to believe what we want to believe and twist God's Word to make it fit our certain situation and circumstances. We need parameters, and God's Word gives those parameters. When my kids were young, we gave them parameters because as parents, we knew what was best. God knows what's best. That's why he gives us parameters. In his no, always, when he gives a no, he has a better yes. Don't be disappointed at his no's and when he doesn't want you to go down that path because he, his promises are yes and amen. And the person of Jesus is something better on the other end. When our kids were young, we let them watch Bugs Life. Very innocent, Bugs Life, right? But there was like one phrase that we didn't want them to get out of that. We watched it like, oh, man. It's when the lightning bug is continually flashing her light, and one of the other bugs yells out, turn your butt off. And Shannon and I looked at each other like, I hope our kids didn't get that. 
Well, guess what the next day my kids are telling some other kids? Turn your butt off. That's not what you want to hear your kids saying to another kid. There is, in human nature, there's a propensity that leans toward the edge. And we need the manual of God's word to continually draw us back in to center. Second thing I want you to write down is this. The faith required for healthy relationships is great. Great. When I was in ninth grade, my dad farming, it had rained a bunch that Saturday morning, and he knew we had an opportunity, so we loaded up the van to go to a Texas Ranger baseball game, just as a break for us. And it was me, my dad, and me and my brother, that's three, plus a friend that we went to church with, and his son, so that's five, and then my uncle, there were six of us. We took off, went to Arlington, watched the Texas Rangers play on a Saturday night, it was like 7.30 game. After the game was over, it was very, very late, we go to a hotel, we stay there in the night in the hotel, we get up the next morning, and we start looking for a church, because my dad made it very clear that we are going to church. Our friend that was with us like, we need to get home. So we late, we get home, we go to church. It's going to be another two or three more hours. And so we're going to go to church. This is before Google, before phones, before maps, all that stuff. And so we just start driving around close to the hotel and looking for a church. And we finally see a church. My dad turns off and goes up. And as he begins to go into the church or, or get there, uh, we notice that it's all African Americans that are headed in this church. So it is a church that is predominantly, from what we could see, African American. And dad starts to park, and the guy that's with us was very uncomfortable. He said, um, are we going to go to church here? It looks like we might be the only white people. My dad said, no, we're going to go to church here. And as we start to get out of the vehicle, he says, we might not have any tires left when we get out of church. And that stuck with me. My dad said, no, we're going to go worship here. We go in, and we have church. That day shaped a lot of my thinking when it comes to my relationships with African Americans. We were anxious. Even though I grew up in a small town that has lots of, a number of African Americans, and I played on ball teams and had friends that was over at my house and sleep in the same bed with, and I had never been in a building with about 500 other African Americans, and we're the only six white people. That was a new thing for me. For most African Americans, that is normal being in a building with a whole lot of white people. But for me, that was new. But I will never forget the love that was shown to us. I think every woman in that place hugged us. I think every man shook our hand. I remember the smell next to me of the woman's perfume that I can still smell today that was so pretty. I still can envision all of the hats in the house. That was not a part of our tradition. And that day, we were not dressed up at all because back then, even... 
for me, which you don't see it today, but back then you had church clothes and you had regular clothes. You know what I'm talking about? And back then we had church clothes, and on that trip we didn't have any of that with us, so we were way, way, way underdressed. I talked to my dad this week. If he still remembers the sermon, I remember that sermon. As the guy got up and preached, he wist not at the anointing. The spirit had departed. He was talking about Samson laying his head in the lap of Delilah. That message was so poetic. It was so beautiful. It was so powerful. I can still remember words and phrases from that message that day. It stuck with me. I remember when we walked in and somebody got up and, and they said, welcome all of our guests. And said, it looks like we have guests in the house. <laughs> Would you please stand and greet us and let us know where you're from? And it was like we couldn't hide. That shaped. We walked out on cloud nine. Lord, we'd been to church with God's people. And God's people loved us like we were underdressed white people. It was loved. Matter of fact, my dad was talking about this on the phone. I remember this. And he reminded me of it without me prompting him. He said, do you remember when, when we were about to leave, African-American lady comes up to him, throws her arms around my dad. Of course, my mom's not there hugs him and just squeezes and hangs onto him and whispers in his ear and it says, I've been praying for God to send me a man. <laughs> then she continues, she says, I just didn't know it was going to be a white man. <laughs> you know, for us, we look at that day as requiring faith for us to step out of our vehicle and go into that house of worship. But for many African Americans, it's faith all the time that they're having to trust in relationships. They feel like there's injustice, but rightly so there is. They have the feelings of pain from a life that they've seen on TV of others being hurt of their same skin color. Lives that have been snapped out of this world in wrongful manner. It takes great faith, and it's going to take great faith for us to begin to do what we need to do, to stop the racial divide and the sibling rivalry and ask God to give us a sibling revival that is restoring hope again, once again, in our nation. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 48 says that be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That was taken out of Matthew chapter 5. It's the very last verse. And if you read chapter 5 and he talks about relationships, he talks about how to handle hatred. He said, don't say murder is wrong. He said, if you even hate your brother, you have committed murder. Don't say just adultery is wrong. If you even lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. Don't say you can just write a contract and get out of that contract. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Make sure your relationship and contract with somebody that you honor what you say you're going to do. 
when it comes to divorce, you can't just divorce because you want a divorce and write a certificate. No, 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 no. Only because of adultery. And even then, you need to make sure you are sensitive and doing what God would want you to do under the right authority. Jesus is making it very clear. He said, if somebody hurts you, you forgive them. If somebody persecutes you, then you forgive them. No matter what the injustice is. You pray for your enemies. He lays out all of that. And then Jesus says, be ye perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Come on, church, we can't do that without faith. We can't live that without faith in God and in our fellow man. Just talk about marriage for just a moment. Anybody who goes into a marriage, what do they do? It requires faith, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. In other words, it's a substance, it's a goal that you want. Faith is, and so anyone who goes into marriage, they have a goal of that marriage. They have an idea of what it's going to be. Does it always materialize like that? No. No, but you had a goal. No one walks into a marriage saying, well, my goal is this to fail in five years. My goal is for us to never get along and end in divorce in 20 years. No, no one ever does that. They have a goal. Faith of what it's going to be. That's why and you chose that person because you chose to love them. Till death you do part. But 50% of our marriages end in divorce. Another 30% of those marriages, now that's 80%, 30% of them are not even functionally healthy and right. And those other 20%, they've got pain. They've got hurt just like everybody else. But they've chosen to walk in forgiveness and mercy and goodness. And trust again in spite of all the issues that are going on in their life. Why do those marriages get sidetracked? Because faith, our faith can be hijacked because of our feelings. When there is pain, when there is hurt, and what has happened with Cain is that anger has settled in. He had a goal, bringing his sacrifice to God, faith. But his faith was hijacked by his feelings. And now he's angry at his brother and angry at God. And he does the wrong things. What's the answer? Trust. Because there's a goal, but pain happens, and pain hijacks. And so we give up on relationships, and therefore we're like, no. Let the African Americans stay over there, the whites stay there, we're going to worship separately, we're going to do this. No, 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 no. We've got to trust again. I talk to boards and talk to companies that somebody messes up, and so the next leader's coming in, you know what they do? They set more parameters and more rules and regulations so that they can protect the organization. And that is the wrong thing to do. And I look at them and say, man, if you do that, you're just, you're tying the hands of the next person because it has to be built on relationship. It has to be, the kingdom of God is built on relationships. There has to be trust. Even though you've been hurt by this person, you've got to trust this person. You've got to move on. Just because... You feel like you got the short end of the stick. No, you got to trust again. Or you're going to isolate yourself, put yourself in a personal prison that will never experience the greater things that God has in store for you. The last point is this. The future of relationships is either going toward unity or disunity. You can ride a bike but if you stop pedaling that bike, eventually you're going to what? Come to a stop, and then what happens when you come to a stop? 
It's going to fall over. You got to keep pedaling. The answer to our problems is not more legislation. It's not our government. It's not a president. It's not governors. We need Jesus, folks. And we need a heart change. And we need him to work deep inside of us. And the peddlers of that hope should be the church of Jesus Christ. We should be the ones bringing hope to this world. And showing this world what it looks like to be the gospel. Uniformity, unity is not uniformity. Hear me in this. You're different than me. You're different than somebody else. I'm different than you. Why? Why, Pastor Hetty at North Church, I pray, God, give me a Pastor Hetty. Why is that? I wanted an African-American man to walk alongside and to be a part of this ministry. To reflect something in the community that I can't give as a white man. And God sent Pastor Hetty my way. And when he first walked into these doors and I met him, he was electric. He was fun. But I was like, nah, let's give him two weeks. See if he's still that way. Two weeks later, same man. I said, give him two months. Because anybody can do it for a couple of weeks. Two months later, still the same man. And then finally I'm like, I got to have this guy working alongside me. We got to build God's kingdom together. I want to bring him on. Because I want to surround myself with something that reflects the heart of God. I'm not looking for a white church. I'm looking for the church. I'm looking for the blood bought, the redeemed of the Lord. I'm looking for us as a group of people that understand that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our good works, not by our money, not by our education, not by our pedigree. We're saved by Jesus Christ and him alone. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's skin against them. No, no, no. It's his what? Sin. It's not this. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks where? At the heart. Continue with this verse. And he gave who? Say it with me. He gave who? This wonderful message of reconciliation. Whose responsibility is it? It ain't government's. It's ours. Unity begins with uniting. On the farm, we had silos. We had a silo for wheat, silo for soybeans, silo for corn. And that's okay for crops. But if you put people in silos, you'll destroy humanity. We were meant to be together. My daughter made me a truffle this week. 
was right here in the front row. And I asked what it was made of, and she said, because she's into health stuff, so this is not your normal truffle. It was avocado, dark chocolate, salt, and a little bit of cocoa. That's all there's in it. No sugar, nothing. And when she told me that, I was like, yuck. But the moment I took a bite, I was like, wow. See, some of you are missing out on a lot in life because you're in your silos, living life that was meant to be lived with somebody different than you. And you can't taste and see that God is good to the extent that he wants you to. Love is a verb, not a noun. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your white neighbor as yourself. Love your black neighbor as yourself. Love your Asian neighbor as yourself. Love your rich neighbor as yourself. Love your poor neighbor. It's love your neighbor, whoever your neighbor is. Unity comes with understanding. Or let me just say the attempt and the desire to understand. I can't understand everything that Pastor Hedy's walking through. I'm not a black man and haven't walked through his shoes, on his shoes. I don't know what it's like to be pulled over by a police officer and be feared. I do know what it's like to be pulled over by a police officer. I've had many of them pull me over over the years. But I've never been in fear. Like some of my African-American friends. Had a young man at our church call me this week, white guy. Left a message. I didn't notice his message till late, almost early evening. I called him back late at night. He's struggling greatly with all that's going on. And he just wanted some help. And some words of encouragement, what he could do and say and help. And fortunately, he didn't wait for me. Instead, he picked up the phone and called one of our African-American friends in the church. Zach is about his age. And Zach, tell me, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's going on. Tell me the pain. And Zach was able to tell him and talk to him. At this moment, white people, let me just say something. You're pedaling the back right now because I think there's more white people more aware of what's going on and feeling this than ever before. But it's not just about opening a door for an African-American. It's not just about, I bought their meal for them. And then that's your good duty. And just like we move on down the road, and a month from now, we forget all about George Floyd. And we forget all about the pain and all about what's happening in the world. It goes further than that. It's opened up your life. It's opened up your heart. And that goes also for the African-Americans in the room and people that listen to me. And don't be afraid to share from your heart. And don't be afraid of getting the words right and saying everything just right. That's not what it's about. It's about speaking our heart. And it's about saying those things in, in, with the hope to trust and to build a relationship with somebody you don't have right now. And build something richer and better than you've ever had in your life. Jesus went on the road to Samaria one time in John chapter 4. He met a woman at the well at Jacob's well. A Samaritan woman. She had all the strikes against her. And the disciples reminded Jesus of that. 
no, we don't need to go to Samaria. We don't need to go that way. That's not where a Jew goes. Jesus said, no, I must need go through Samaria because I've got an appointment with the woman of the well and I've got to talk to her. The disciples were saying, no, don't go there. And then when he found out who she's meeting with, a woman, married five times, living with the sixth man, the one that was even rejected by the Samaritans, and Jesus made time for her, and Jesus is walking through with his sign that says, Samaritans matter. Samaritans matter. Samaritans matter. Samaritans matter. And you know what? The first great evangelist recorded in the Gospels was that woman. Because that woman leaves with a taste of living water that she will never thirst again. And she goes into the city and she tells all the men of the city. She tells them about this man that she met who told her everything she had ever done. And she told them about the goodness and that he was the Messiah and all the men of the city. And Jesus said to the disciples, don't say there's four months, then comes the harvest. He's pointing at the wheat fields around. There's going to be four months until harvest. He points at the men coming from the city. He said, I say, now the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. last thing I want to give you is this. Unity is the point where the devil attacks. But it's the point that God blesses. Is anyone listening? From the very beginning, the way the devil attacked, he attacked the family and two brothers, Cain and Abel, to create division. The devil hasn't changed his strategy. Every time a family gets, couple gets married and says, I do, that I do says that we're unified. Nothing's going to stop us till death we do part. And where does the devil go? Right to the unity and to divide. What does he do in our country right now? He divides by skin color, divides by economic divides. Abraham Lincoln, a man of God, who would write a speech just before the worst war ever. More men were killed in that war than all of our wars put together. The Civil War. And he said, a house divided cannot stand. He stole those words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, who said a house divided cannot stand. But yet Abraham Lincoln knew that it was worth paying the cost of 20, 622,000 men in this country who would lose their life for a fight of justice and for what was right. I thank God that we're not there and that we have progressed. But church, we got a long way to go. And we need Jesus to make that happen. We can't do it ourselves. But God strikes at the point of unity too. In Acts chapter number 2, when the people were in one mind and one accord, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there were clothed in tongues of fire that sat upon every single one of them. 
And the Bible says that the nations of the earth came running to that site. They were gathered at Jerusalem, and they began to watch what was going on. And what they saw is what unity can do. Let me tell you, what unity can do, it can put back together what the devil's trying to destroy. I want you to stand with me. Worship team, go ahead and come back. We got to have the mind of Christ. Maybe you need him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Fall in this place. Would you just close your eyes and invite the Holy Spirit right now? I pray you do something with this message. Do something with this message.